Well, good morning once again. I also want to give a greeting to those who may be watching online this morning. We pray that the Lord would be with you as we come together around God's Word today. Well, friends, um, we are coming to the close of a sermon series that kind of just got started called Restoration Project, and uh, it's been a great journey, and we're coming to the close of this particular part of the journey, Uh, but that's all right, because we've got more to learn and there's more to grow in. And I want to just give you a little bit of an insight into where the inspiration for this sermon series came from me. It came from my brother. My brother, Kevin. Kevin is 10 years older than I am, and uh, he's down in Lakeville, Minnesota, and he's probably not watching this morning. Um, but, uh, but if he is, he would hear me say this. Uh, I, I really had no interest in cars growing up. I was not that guy. Um, but my brother did. He loved cars. Um, he spent some time working in a mechanic shop and, and working in a storefront. Um, and then he spent some time working for Holly Carburetors. Any of you, you know, gearheads out there know a little bit about Holly Carburetors. He, he worked there for a while. And, and so he always had this kind of love for cars. And I was over at his house uh, around Thanksgiving time, and, and he put something up on the screen for, for me to watch. It was a YouTube video about car restorations, and I was hooked. I was hooked. These videos about tearing a car entirely, entirely down from, from its, it may have been in a crash, it may have just been old and worn out, but they tear the whole thing apart, pull it all the way down, then put it all back together again. And I can't get enough of these videos now. I'm out there on YouTube looking for them, and there's a lot of them out there that show this kind of process for restoring cars. But there's another show that's related to it that I saw there called Barn Finds. Barn Finds. And some of you may know this, but this is about the folks who go out and they look for old cars that have been hidden away in somebody's barn for who knows how long, and uh, they'll, they'll dust them off and they'll show them uh, to, to them and, and do a little video about it. But they had a show that was on not too long ago that was about one of these barn finds, and it was what he called kind of the holy grail of barn finds. He found over 50 cars that were kept at this one particular place in all of these various outbuildings, and so the whole episode was him going out and seeing all these cars and they were classic cars, amazing cars, cars from the 50s and the 60s, a few of them from the 70s, amazing, amazing cars, some of them incredibly rare finds that were in this. But here's the thing, they were cars from the 50s and 60s, I think a few of them may have even been from the 40s, and this gentleman who owned these cars had done restoration projects. He'd restored these cars in the late 70s and the early 80s, and then he left them in the barn. They just left them there to collect dust and to get broken down again. And as a matter of fact, finding them today, the barn finds guy was saying, many of these cars need restoration again. Because you see, folks, cars aren't meant to stay in the barn. They're meant to be driven. And that brings us to what we've been talking about during this sermon series, about restoration, the kind of restoration that God needs to do in our hearts. And we've been looking at it in three different facets. We're going to get to the third one today, but I want to just catch you up here real quickly with where we've been. We've been listening to the stories of Jesus encountering his disciples after his resurrection. And one of the first people that he talked with was Thomas, the one known as Doubting Thomas. And Jesus needed to do a restoration project inside of Thomas's heart to restore his faith. And that's exactly what he did. He met him in his post-resurrection body. He told Thomas, put your hands here, Thomas, and the scars in my hand and put it in my side. It's truly me. Now don't doubt, believe. And that's exactly what Thomas did. His faith was restored. 
And then last week we talked about the fuel that we need to keep this car going. Faith is the engine, but we need fuel if we're going to keep going too. And it, basically the kind of fuel that goes in there is going to determine how well this car is going to run. And it determines that for us too. We encountered a story with Peter. Peter, the disciple who had followed Jesus and was a close companion of Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. But then he failed. He disappointed Jesus and he disappointed himself towards the end of his time. When Jesus was being crucified, tried and being prepared to be crucified, Peter denied even knowing him three times. And that disappointment lingered with him. But then Jesus returned from the dead, resurrected, called ashore Peter and the other disciples to be with him. And Jesus took some time with Peter and he asked him if he loved him three times to restore his love and his calling back into his life. That's the fuel that we need in our lives too, folks. No other motivation works besides love. The engine is faith. The fuel is love. And God's doing that restoration in the Bible and he does that restoration in our lives too. And I hope that that's been helping you as we've been walking through this journey. But today we come to the third part of the restoration project. And I'm sure we could easily do a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth one. But I think you'll see where we're going and why we've capped this one at three. Because these are three very important areas of our life that need to be restored. And in order to get there, we're going to open up our Bibles today to the gospel according to Matthew. If you need a Bible, we have ushers who are making their way up and down the aisles right now. They've got Bibles for you. I would love if you would pull one out. Or if you've got one on your cell phone or you've got one printed or however it is that you have one, that's all great. Go ahead, open them up, and, uh, and then you can follow along as I read. And the reason I like to do this, by the way, is it's, you know I'm accountable to God's Word too. <laughs> so by having me open it up and you open it up and we read it together, we know that this is really God's Word. And uh, his word is powerful, and it means to speak to you and to me today. So, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to begin reading at verse 16. Follow along with me as I read. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This passage of scripture may be familiar to some of you. It might be the first time that others of you have heard it. That's okay, because it's a powerful passage of scripture. Some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, and they're words that come all the way down through the generations to us. Go and make disciples. And this restored the hope of those very first disciples. Why would it restore their hope? Where had their hope gone? Well, their hope had gone with Jesus on the cross. You see, the disciples were hoping for something great. They were hoping for a, a kingdom with a king, a Messiah who would lead them to restore Israel, to bring them all back to the greatness that they once had. And now that was all dashed because Jesus had been taken away, tried, and crucified. And they forgot how the end of the story would go that Jesus kept reminding them of. But hey, they're human. They forgot. Instead, their hope was dashed. So here they are now after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is calling them all to himself up on that mountain in Galilee. And they come to see him and what's the first thing they do? They worship. 
their hope is restored, and they worship. Folks, there's a starting point in all of our lives as followers of Jesus, and that's worship. It's what we're here to do today. It is what has been done throughout all of the ages. We worship him because he is our king. And you see, we don't have kings nowadays, not, not really. So it sounds a little funny to think about worshiping a king, but in the time of Jesus, it was very common. People worshipped their king. People worshipped their Kaiser, their Caesar. People worshipped their leaders as being God or being close to God or speaking for God. So it was not uncommon at all for somebody to be worshipping a king. So here comes King Jesus. He's alive. He's the true king of the universe, the true savior of all mankind. And their instinct is to worship him because that's what we're built to do. We're made for worship. We're made to have our hope filled and our hope focused on the one who has saved us and rescued us. That is why we worship. That's why it's so important for us to keep coming together. Gathering at times like this, it's why this matters. This isn't just a time for announcements. Announcements are great. Not just a time for, for meeting one another. That's wonderful too. But primarily, it's a time for us to worship Jesus. And that was the first thing that those disciples did when their hope was being restored, was to worship the king. And why is that so vital? Because the only hope for the world is Jesus. The only hope for the world is Jesus. Say it with me. The only hope for the world is Jesus. That's a declaration of truth, friends. There is no other way. There is no other way for us to be reunited with our Heavenly Father, for us to be forgiven, for His grace to flow into our lives. There is no other way in heaven or on earth. It's the name of Jesus exclusively that brings us into salvation, that brings us into an eternal hope of spending eternity with Him. It's an incredible thing, but it's the truth for the whole world. The only hope for the world is Jesus. It won't be found any place else, not in any other political party, not in any other army, not in any other leader or ruler, not in any philosophy or psychology or anything else. While each of those has its place, the only hope for the world is Jesus. Amen. It's the only hope for the world. And that brings us to worship him come before him in these times with hands upraised and voices crying out in praise and that it bends our knee before him in worship to honor him for who he is. It brings all of that together as we come before him to worship him, the only hope of the world. But then Jesus keeps going and he invites his disciples into something else. He invites his disciples into mission to go out into the world. And in order to do that, he gathers them together into something called the church. And that's so important because you see, the only hope for the world is Jesus, but the only hope for Jesus is the church. Now that may sound really strange. How could Jesus need a hope or something like that? Well, let me explain. Jesus said to his disciples when they were with him witnessing his miracles, he looked at them and said, listen, you're going to do greater things than this. Now, how is that possible? I know that I'm not Jesus. I know you're not Jesus. You're not planning on doing anything better than him. But the truth is we are part of something greater than any of us individually. We are what's called members of a body. It's a great illustration. 
And we've been talking about cars, so you can talk about the body of a car too, right? It's got a lot of different pieces and parts that go into making it all work together, and if any of them aren't working right, the whole thing doesn't function the way it's supposed to. We are part of a body, and Jesus is the head. And that body is called the church, and it has a mission. We have a mission statement over on the wall. It's right there. It's to be and make disciples of Jesus. But I want to twist that around for you for a second because the reality of it is the church doesn't have that mission. That mission has the church because the mission was there before the church. Jesus sent his disciples on mission and then formed a church to accomplish that mission. The mission has a church. And that's why that church is the only hope of Jesus. It's the only hope for getting the word out to the world. It won't happen any other way, friends. It won't happen through any type of politics. It won't happen through some expression of power. It won't happen any other way than through Jesus and his church. The only hope for Jesus is the church that goes to do greater things. And here's the rub. The only hope for the church is you. Let that sink in for a minute. The only hope for the church is you. How can I say that? What do I mean? Look around you. You see some empty seats and some chairs next to you, don't you? That's because the only hope of bringing more people into a relationship with Jesus is you. Is you inviting a friend. Is you raising up your children in the church. Is you reaching out and serving somebody in the love of Jesus as a part of his church, just like we did this past weekend, just like we try to encourage you to do in every aspect of your lives. 3165, right? We're here for three hours to worship. We're out there 165 hours a week to be the church. And its only hope is you. And that's a pretty big, heavy deal, isn't it? Because you know what? I can't. And neither can you. I can't bear the weight of that. If the only hope for the church is me, well, good luck with that. Because I know me. And you're going to get to know me more and more. <laughs> and I know you. And I know the reality of our broken condition. We can't do this, friends. If it's all up to us, where do we go? Let me give you an example in my own life. This past Saturday, the Saturday before this last Saturday, I took a little nostalgia tour. I was in the Twin Cities for 42 years before being down in Iowa for six and then back up here again. So I went over to the Coon Rapids Dam. Anybody know where the Coon Rapids Dam is? Yeah, a few of you do. I used to live right down the road from the Coon Rapids Dam. And I used to go out to that dam often to take little walks around there, to just meditate, just pray before the Lord, just spend some time out in that beautiful site. So I wanted to go back there again. So I did. It's a gorgeous Saturday. Drove out there, walked along the banks of the Mississippi River that was really, really high, came up into the little fishing area. They got a platform right by there where people will toss their fishing lines in and hope to catch some fish. And so I was just sitting there watching them. And while I was watching them, this gentleman came up next to me. And he asked me, he said, boy, so what kind of fish do you think they catch here? 
I said, well, I don't know. I think they're all rough fish, though. They're probably not walleyes or northerns or anything tasty like that. He's like, wow, that's interesting. So he just chatted with me a little bit more about the fishing and about how beautiful this was. And, and then as he was talking to me, he just said, hey, you know, uh, one of the reasons that I'm out here is, is just to talk with people and just to let people know how much God loves them. <laughs> and and how, how important that is and how Jesus came and died for them. And, and because of that, we can be with him for all eternity. It's such incredible news. What do you think about that news? <laughs> And I said, well, that's not really for me, thanks. <laughs> that's not what I said. I said, yeah, man, that's the greatest news ever. He said, oh. He stopped. He said, you must be a Christian. I said, yes, I am. Yeah, it's the greatest news ever. So he's talking with me a little bit more, and so then he asked, so yeah, so what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a pastor. And now it all changes. Oh, wow, you're a pastor. Let me tell you about what I've been doing out here. <laughs> and it was great. He just chatted with me a little bit about how he's been going up and talking to people and how he's got a section of time that he and his church were going to be down at the river and walking around and talking to people like this. And, and as he's talking about it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, cold calling all day long out here just bumping into strangers and having a little bit of small talk and then trying to talk with them about Jesus. So I, I bid him farewell as he made his way out. And then he went back to talk to somebody else who was sitting down on a bench right behind me. And it was uh, a little bench there. And he was sitting there with his bike, a guy probably in his 20s. And I heard this gentleman go over and start talking with this guy there. And he's starting off exactly the same way, right? Hey, I see you've got a bike here. Do you like biking the trails and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So he's talking about him with a little bit. And he chats with him and he says to him, hey, you know, I'm just out here letting people know about how much God loves them and what Jesus has done for them and, and how he's given his life for us. And if we trust and believe in him, we get to spend eternity with him. What do you think about that? And the guy said, it's not really my thing. And you know, I sat there and I thought, man, this isn't working. This isn't working. Whatever this is, isn't working. And I could come up with a hundred different ways that I would do it differently. I kept thinking about it, how I would want to approach people differently and, and maybe form some kind of a, a biking club to get together with this guy. All these different thoughts rolling through my head about a better way to do this. And then as I got home a little bit later, God spoke to me. He reminded me of a very old quote. It's simply this. Well, I prefer the way he's doing it to the way you're not doing it. <laughs> Isn't it true? We live in a different time, folks. There's absolutely no doubt that the ways and the techniques and the things that we did to draw people into a life with Jesus 20 years ago, 30 years ago, are not working the same anymore. Back when I was in high school, we used to use something called the four spiritual laws. Anybody ever hear about the four spiritual laws? Yes, a few of you have, but many of you are like, what on earth is that? It's just a little pamphlet that you could sit down with somebody at the Coon Rapids Dam or in the mall or wherever you happen to be and if you're chatting with them and you pull this thing out and it just led people through the book of Romans and through the way that God loves us and the way that he's created a pathway for us to be able to come with him because we're sinners and, and when people would use this you'd get all kinds of different reactions. Sometimes people would be like, oh, mm -hmm. but sometimes you'd have people who would sit there and would go, wow, you know what? Yeah, I, I haven't been in church in a long time. So maybe, I should, maybe I should make my way back to church. You go out and pull out the four spiritual laws now and sit in that park bench next to that guy, 
and I might as well be talking Chinese to him. And he wasn't Chinese. It has no bearing for him. Oh, well, that's good for you, but it's not really my thing. So how do we connect with that guy? The answer is, I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have to figure it out together. We're going to have to figure it out as a community. We're going to have to figure out whether somebody needs to, to be out there on their bike with other bikers going, hey, maybe this would be a way to kind of hang out with this guy. Not to make him a project, but to respect him as a person, to share something in common that we love together, and then to make a friendship. And from that place of friendship, build into the things that are the most important in our lives. But you can't do it, and neither can I, alone. The only hope for the world is Jesus. The only hope for Jesus is the church. The only hope for the church is you, and the only hope for you and for me is Jesus. It all comes back around to him. Because as Jesus laid out this message to those disciples, can you imagine what was falling on their ears? All authority has been given to me as Lord and Savior. Now I'm telling you to go. And as you are going, make disciples of all nations. These folks hadn't stepped outside of Israel. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All nations, everything. No big deal. <laughs> and if you just left it there, I think I'd be left at the same place of just going, I can't do that. There's no way that I can do this. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He finishes by saying, and remember, I will be with you always until the end of the age. That's the good news. That's the news that you and I need to hear. We're not alone in this. Not only do we have brothers and sisters in Christ brought into this spiritual family because that's what Jesus makes us, but we have Jesus himself who promises to be with us, to walk with us, the one who rescued you and rescued me from our sinfulness, the one who calls us into new and eternal life and makes us ambassadors of that life with somebody else. Now it's not just another to-do list to check off, to go out and hang out in the park for three hours, but it's a lifestyle. And it takes a lot more time. And it's not as simple as just chatting with a couple of people and hoping that maybe they'd come through with it. And I'm, again, I'm not casting dispersions on that guy. He's doing more than I'm doing. But there's got to be a way for us to see other people come and connect in these chairs. Because let me ask you this. Who is here because of you? Who is sitting in the chair next to you that's here because you invited them or you asked them one time. Who can you look to around here and say, you know what, I'm here because that person cared enough to talk to me one time. I'm here because my mom and dad faithfully took me to church every Sunday. I'm here because a, a wonderful Bible teacher taught me the truth about Jesus. I'm here because a children's minister took time to care about me when I was in fourth grade. I'm here because my big sister invited me to church with her one day and I heard the gospel and responded in faith. That's my story. 
Each of us have a story of someone, and that someone wasn't doing it by themselves. They were doing it with Jesus. Because that's the only way any of this would work. That's the only way that you and I could respond to that is if it's truly Jesus working through that person and working with that person. And that should give us great hope. That should restore our hope. It's easy to get disillusioned when we look out at the world and the church today and say, wow, fewer and fewer people, less and less people connecting with the church, fewer and fewer people understanding anything at all about what this message means. It can easily become a place of being disillusioned. But you know what? Jesus isn't disillusioned because he had no illusions about you to begin with. He knew exactly who he would have, where he would have them, and what he would have them and call them to do from the very beginning of time. He knew. He knew where you would be. He knew every brokenness, every sin, every failure in your life, and he chose to call you anyway to be a part of his church so that he could spread his love through you and with you. And hope is on the way. The hope comes when we're on the way, when we're just on our way walking out in the streets. That whole 3165 thing, folks, we're here for three hours a week to love Jesus and worship him, and then we've got 165 hours left to go out there and be the church and the community and to let that mission capture us. Remember, we don't have a mission. The mission has us. And that means he is with us too. Jesus is truly with us. And he's with us right now to walk on this journey with him. How are we going to make disciples? I don't know. But I know Jesus is going to have something to do with it. And I know his Holy Spirit will be at work in us to accomplish it too. And if you want to know more about that, come back next week when we start our new sermon series called That's the Spirit. Because we're going to talk about that together too. But today, let's just rest in Jesus. Let's trust that he is with us. And let's take advantage of these opportunities that we're going to have this summer. We wrap up with this thought. You know, I know summertime is coming. It is coming. Trust me. It's coming. (laughs) It'll be here. And like I said, I was here for 42 years, and I know what happens during the summer in church. Attendance explodes, and everybody shows up. And Of course not. No. We know what happens. Folks head off to their lake cabin, and they get together with family and friends. They go on vacations. Hey, friends, I'm not going to stand up here and wag my finger at you and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. We only get three days a year of it, so we might as well enjoy it, right? (laughs) But enjoy it. Go out, be with your family, be with your friends. Go out and dig a garden in your backyard. Go out and mow the lawn. And while you're out there, have your eyes out for other people who are around there too. People who God has put in your path. Nudges that Jesus gives you to say, hey, why don't you just introduce yourself to that new neighbor? And just go over and say hello. And you don't have to whip out the four spiritual laws. You don't have to start talking with them about coming to your church. Please don't, as a matter of fact. Take some time to just get to know them. Maybe invite them over for dinner. Maybe go over to their house for dinner. Maybe you have a fire pit in your backyard. Whatever it is, folks, and wherever you are, that mission has us. And Jesus has us too for that mission. So when you're out there, connect with people. 
love people, and then come back here together, and we can celebrate and worship Jesus about all the good he is doing. And maybe, just maybe, one of those times, there'll be somebody sitting next to you who you built that relationship with and who comes here and comes to know Jesus, who comes to know eternal life because Jesus was with you as he's with all of us. The only hope for the world is Jesus. The only hope for Jesus is the church. The only hope for the church is you. And the only hope for you is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you on this day, we are only here because you have called us here. We are only here because you have done a miracle in our life through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we have hope. It's because of him that we have faith. It's because of him that we have love. Faith, love, and hope. The engine to move us forward, the fuel to fill us, and the wheels to get us going on this mission. Lord Jesus, would you continue that restorative work in our lives again and again and again, restoring faith to us where we have lost it and doubted, restoring love into our lives where we have disappointed or despaired or just been apathetic, and then restoring hope to us, Lord, so that the mission keeps going forward and picks up a lot more people along the way. Thank you for loving us so much that you called us here today. Thank you for working a miracle in our lives so we can trust you today. Now work that miracle through us because hope is on the way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.